This afternoon we will be considering Baptist Catechisms 56 and 57. I should remind you there is a bulletin in the back that also contains a rather detailed outline of of this lesson. Uh, It is important, brothers and sisters, that the Christian faith be presented and taught uh, regularly, and that is indeed what we are trying to do on the Lord's Day afternoon, to preach and teach the great doctrines of the Christian faith regularly. Baptist Catechism 56 asks, What is forbidden in the second commandment? And the answer given is this, The second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images, or any other way not appointed in His word. Question 57 asks, What are the reasons annexed, or added, to the second commandment? The reasons annexed to the second commandment are, God's sovereignty over us, His propriety in us, and the zeal He has to His own worship. I'll read now from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Moses speaks to Israel, saying, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. This now, the reading of God's holy word, may add his blessing to the teaching of it this afternoon. I think a bit of review is in order. Uh, We have learned what the second commandment is. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on, in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. That is Exodus 20 verses 4 through 5. We have learned what it requires. The second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in His Word. And so we have made the observation that while the first commandment teaches us who is to be worshipped, God alone is to be worshipped, the second commandment tells us something about how God is to be worshipped. And two main principles may be drawn from the second commandment. One, it is God who determines how He is to be worshipped and not man. When God said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, etc., He claimed the right to be worshipped on His terms, and not on our own. And I think this is a very important principle. We are to worship God alone, the first commandment establishes that, and we are to worship Him as He has revealed in His Word. Two, we see clearly that God is not to be worshipped by images. Both of these principles are contained in Baptist Catechism 56, which says the second commandment forbids the worshipping of God by images, or any other way not appointed in His Word. So, we are forbidden from worshiping God using images. And I ask you, why is this? And I suppose the most direct and basic answer could be this, because God said so, and that would be correct, and that would be sufficient. But I think we could say more. Why no images? Well, it is because 
God is a most pure spirit. He is invisible. He is infinite. There are no boundaries to God that lines on a paper or edges to a sculpture could accurately represent. An image, no matter how grand or beautiful, is incapable of communicating the truth about God, for He is boundless. Every image that man makes in an attempt to represent God is a lie. Can you see it? Uh, You'll notice that this is what Moses uh, warns against in Deuteronomy 4.15. It's the rationale that he he, he gives. Hear it again. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware that you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself. And then the passage goes on. You could hear the rationale here. Um, Moses is saying you are not to worship God with images. And, and here's the reason for it. You saw no image when the Lord spoke to you. He is not an image. He has no boundaries to Him. So every image that you make, no matter how good your intentions might be, they're going to misrepresent the triune God, the eternal God, the God who is unlimited. You would do well to notice that all images are forbidden. The people of Israel were warned against making any carved images in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, etc. In other words, they were forbidden from attempting to make an image of God, and they were also forbidden from making images of created things to represent God. Can you see how these are two different approaches here? Well, let's make an image to try to uh, depict God. That is forbidden. Well, let's make an image of a created thing and it will stand in the place of God so that we will worship God through the image of the created thing. The episode of of the golden calf comes immediately to my mind. That should be fresh on our minds. We studied the book of Exodus not long ago. The Hebrews had barely escaped from the Egyptians when, with Aaron at the lead, they gathered gold and made a calf to bow down to. And I do not doubt that some of them, at least, wished to give worship to the God who had redeemed them through this golden calf. Are you following me? Perhaps some of them had a desire to give worship to Yahweh, to give worship to the God who had redeemed them from Egyptian bondage, but they wanted an image to help them. And so they said, let's make a calf and we will give worship to this God of ours who has redeemed us through the calf. The image will help us, perhaps they thought. I think it in fact was Aaron's intention. He thought that perhaps he could give the people their desires and therefore promote the worship of Yahweh in so doing. But where did they go astray? They made an image. I think it is somewhat understandable that they wanted to do this. In fact, these people had lived in Egypt their whole lives and the worship of the Egyptians was very much tangible and physical. It's what they knew. But their actions, however understandable they may be, were inexcusable, for God had already commanded them not to make images. It was in Exodus 20, verse 23, that the Lord said, You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. And the episode involving the golden calf happened after that. So the Lord had already commanded them not to make images, and yet they did this because they had an appetite for Idolatry. They had an appetite for images. I've already warned you in previous sermons about our propensity to worship the creation rather than the Creator. That is clearly forbidden in the first commandment. Here, the warning is a bit more nuanced. Not only are we forbidden from worshiping the creation instead of the Creator, we are forbidden from worshiping the Creator with images of created things. So I'll return to the question, why? Why no images? 
The answer is this. Because all images of God, or all images used to represent God, are a lie. They are incapable of telling us the truth about Him. They portray God as physical when He is truly spiritual. He's a most pure spirit. They confine God to a locality when in reality He is omnipresent. Images limit the one who is infinite and beyond measure. In brief, images make God small in the hearts and minds of those who see them. They bring God down and make Him into an object to be manipulated and controlled by the hands of men and formed according to their wills and imaginations. And I think that is the crux of the issue here. Why do people like images? Why do they like idols? They're comfortable with them, you see. It's something they could, they could handle. It's something they can control. It's something they can manipulate. And that brings a degree of comfort to sinners who know that they are sinners and stand before a God who is holy. Uh, a God like that is intimidating and, and, and unsettling. Uh, for sinners who are in their sins. Now, some may push back saying, but the artists know that God is not really bound by the image. And the worshiper understands that these are merely representations of the infinite one. Could you see how someone might push back in that way? Going, I I understand that this is not a God, but it represents God. I understand that God is not confined to this space, but rather is beyond it and is represented here. But I would push back saying, do they? Do they understand this? And the question is not so much what the artist understands, but what the artist communicates to others. Will future generations understand when they run to images rather than to the Word of God to understand the truth regarding who God is? Bottom line, God has forbidden it. And so we are not to make images of Him, nor to use images in our worship. And to be sure of this, and be sure of this rather, um, people will certainly run to images if they are made and not to the Word of God. The images appeal much more strongly to our fleshly desires than God's Word does. Images appeal to the mind of man, for an image can be understood. Images appeal to the heart of man, for an image can be crafted to suit one's desires. And images appeal to the will of man, for an image is under our control. We are able to manipulate it. We're able to take it where we wish. We're able to use it as we wish. But the God who has revealed Himself in history and in the Scriptures is beyond our comprehension. He claims lordship over us. He demands that we conform to His will and desire what He desires. For He has made us, we have not made Him, you see. People, if they are provided the opportunity, will run to images. Uh, It appeals more to their senses. No images are to be made, and neither are we to make images of earthly things to represent God. Both approaches are incapable of telling the truth regarding God, but will always tell a lie, leading to false beliefs concerning His nature. So, what about images of Jesus? What about images of Jesus? Should we have them? This is a controversial question that believers have disagreed on. It didn't used to be so amongst the Protestants and the Reformed. In times past, most Protestants stood unified against Rome and their use of images of Christ in worship. But today, few Protestants even stop to ask, should we make images of Jesus? Images of Jesus are all around us in our culture, and they are also present within the church. Some say, no, never. We ought to never have images of Jesus. Others say, Well, no, certainly not for use in worship, but perhaps for other purposes. And still others say, yes, it is permitted, for nowhere do the Scriptures say, thou shalt not make an image 
of Jesus. Those who are of this last opinion will reason in this way. Since the Son of God took on flesh in the incarnation, we are therefore free to make images of Him, for He is the image of the invisible God. But I want to think about this with you. And I have a series of questions. One, I might ask you this. Is Jesus to be worshipped? Is Jesus an object of our worship? Is He to be worshipped? And the answer is yes, He is to be worshipped. God the Father is to be worshipped through faith in Him, but Jesus is also to be worshipped. Why? Because He is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. He is divine, so He is worthy of our worship. Two, do we worship Jesus according to His divinity or His humanity? Answer, we worship Jesus, the person of Jesus, because He is divine. In Jesus, there are two natures, the human and the divine. And it is the person of the Son, the second person of the triune God, who is the person or acting subject in Christ. But in Christ, these two natures are inseparably joined. Jesus is to be an ob- the object of our worship, given His divinity, given the person of the Son, who is the acting subject within it. Those of you who have come to Sunday school are going, ah, yes, this study that we just finished on the doctrine of Christ is, is going to have an impact upon us here. Uh, there is a reason Jesus is to be worshipped. It is because it is the person of the Son who took to Himself a human nature. It is by virtue of the divine nature that Christ is to be worshipped. Three, I might ask you this, do images of Jesus communicate the truth regarding the object of our worship or do they tell a lie? And I say, they most certainly tell a lie. They do with Jesus who was and is the Son of God incarnate, the very same thing that images of God do. They misrepresent Him, they limit Him, they mislead. And it is not difficult to demonstrate that images of Jesus are misleading. For one, no one knows what Jesus looked like. No one who saw Jesus in the flesh decided to draw pictures of Him or to carve statues of Him. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Why didn't they? Why wasn't it an important thing for the very earliest Christians, the apostles of Christ and those who came after them to do? Why did they not think to to make images of Jesus if this was going to be an important thing for the church? Um, They did not do it. Uh, They did not paint or carve, brothers and sisters. What did the apostles of Christ and those who were in their orbit do? They wrote the Scriptures. They did not carve. They wrote And I cannot help but think that the second commandment had something to do with this fact. We don't have any pictures of Jesus dating back to the first or second centuries. No one knows what He looked like. This means that every picture you have ever seen of Jesus is in fact false. It has to be. Some are probably more accurate than others. But it is all but certain that He did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. All of these images of Jesus no matter how accurate they try to be, are wrong. No one is correct because we do not know what Jesus looked like. And yet Jesus is to be worshipped. Two, and I think this is even more significant, every picture of Jesus is misleading because a picture can only portray His human nature and not His divine nature. And yet we know that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man, that is Second London Confession, chapter 8, paragraph 2. And I ask you, how do we know this? How do we know that this is the truth about who Jesus is? We know this is true about Jesus, that there is one Christ, and in Him there are two natures, human and divine. 
because the Word of God informs us. I come back to this principle. An image does not tell us this, but the Word of God does. The Scriptures do. You're recognizing a theme now. How can we come to know and worship God in truth, the triune God? Through special revelation, not through images. How can we come to worship God in truth, the triune God? Through God's Word. That is to say, through the Scriptures and not through images. And how can we come to know the truth about Christ and worship Him in truth? Again, through special revelation, i.e. the Scriptures and not by way of images. Every image of Christ tells a lie. But the Word of God proclaims the truth concerning Him. So what is my view regarding images of Christ? Certainly they are to never be used in worship. Never should we pray to them or bow down to them. Uh, or never should we make images uh, uh, um, of God either, of course. This is a clear violation of the second commandment. And concerning images of Jesus used in movies, manger scenes, and children's story, story Bibles, I would urge you, brothers and sisters, to think very carefully about them. I think any attempt to represent Christ with images is a violation of the second commandment. I pause a little bit here because I have seen some, some children's story Bibles make very... Um, that clearly it's Christ that's being portrayed, but there's no attempt to portray His human nature accurately. It's just a blot or something like that. And it represents the story that is being told. I'm just being transparent with you here, brothers and sisters. Say I, I pause here a little bit. But any attempt to represent Jesus, His humanity accurately, I think is a violation of the second commandment. And I might even regret saying what I just said in the future. Um, I'm trying to be careful here and gracious, I suppose. Think very carefully about this, brothers and sisters. Jesus is to be worshipped. He is an object of our worship. And we are to not make images of God. And He is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. So how will we teach our children and others about Jesus then if not with pictures? Brothers and sisters, we are to teach the whole truth concerning the whole Christ from the Word of God. We are to say what the Scriptures say. Things like this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. We're to say things like this. That is Colossians 1, 15-16. Now I want you to imagine trying to communicate that truth, the one that was just communicated in Colossians 1, with an image. You can't. Or better yet, Imagine trying to form an image that will not somehow distort that truth which has just been communicated by God's Word. And how are we to remember Christ and the work that He has accomplished for us if not with pictures? Answer, we are to remember Him in the way that God has commanded through word and sacrament. God has given us baptism and the Lord's Supper as visible signs which remind us of the work that Christ has accomplished for us and done in us. And it is the Word of God that explains their meaning we're to remember Jesus through word and sacrament. Do you want a visible representation of Christ? Then come to the table, brothers and sisters, and partake of His body and shed blood in the bread and in the wine which represent Him. And the Word of God explains the meaning of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. You're, you're probably recognizing that this comes back to the question, how is God to be worshipped? It is, 
Is it the normative principle that we are to adopt? I introduced that last week, the one that says we are free to worship God as we wish, provided that God's word does not directly forbid it. Or is it the regulative principle that we are to adopt, the one that says we are free to worship God in the way that he has commanded in his word, not more, not less. The second view is ours. We're going to move towards a conclusion now, and I'd like to briefly address Baptist Catechism number 57, which asks, what are the reasons annexed or added to the second commandment? The second commandment is itself brief. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, and then it's elaborated upon, but it's that idea. No carved images. But in verses 5 through 6 of Exodus 20, and in verses 9 through 10 of Deuteronomy 5, we find that God states His reasons for this commandment with the words, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Our catechism is right to summarize the reasons that are added to the second commandment in this way. The reasons annexed to the second commandment are, one, God's sovereignty over us, two, His propriety in us, three, the zeal He has for His own worship. In other words, God says, Do not worship with images, but in the way that I command. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In other words, because of God's sovereignty over us, and because of His propriety in us, meaning that He owns us as His redeemed people, and the zeal that He has for His own worship, we are to not make any images, but are to worship in the way that God has said. God is our king. He is sovereign over us. He owns us because he has redeemed us. And he is zealous to maintain the purity of the worship of his name. And therefore, he has given us his commandments, the first and the second. The reasons annexed to the second commandment are these. You know, some are disturbed by the words, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Many assume that all jealousy is sinful. And I want to address that very quickly. It may sound strange for some to hear God say, I am a jealous God. But I ask you, is all jealousy sinful? Is all jealousy sinful? And I say to you, no, it is not. Just as there is a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger, so too there is a difference between righteous jealousy and unrighteous jealousy. Jealousy is sinful when it is covetous. It is a sin to be jealous of what others have wishing that it belonged to you. But it is right to be jealous for what is rightfully yours. If I say to you, and I've used this illustration before, I am jealous for my wife's faithfulness, I have not confessed sin to you, have I? No, instead I have claimed, uh, no, instead I am saying that I am, I am jealous for what is rightful me, rightfully mine, namely my wife's faithfulness. I am hers and she is, is mine and, and we are eager to keep it that way. Now, even righteous jealousy like this can overflow its proper and reasonable bounds and become a consuming passion and therefore be sinful. But our God is not driven by passions, and neither is He jealous for things that are not rightfully His. So this jealousy that God has is perfectly right. It is holy. It is a holy jealousy. His jealousy is not like ours tends to be, therefore, his is perfectly right and pure. So what is God jealous for? What is God jealous for? Answer, He is jealous for worship from His creatures. 
Just as it is right for a husband to be jealous for his wife's faithfulness, and a wife to be jealous for her, her husband's faithfulness, so too it is right for God to be jealous to have worship from his creatures. Or to put it in a more shocking way, God would sin if he was not jealous for the worship of his name. Have you ever thought of that? It is only right that he be worshipped, and it is a great evil when he is not, for he is our God and we are his creatures. And this is especially true of those whom he has redeemed. We owe him worship, brothers and sisters. We owe him worship that is true, for he is our creator and redeemer. He is sovereign over us. He is our Lord and King. He has propriety in us, meaning he has the right to call us to conform to his will. And he is zealous to be worshipped. And this is all right. It is right for God to have as his highest aim the glory of his name, for he is God. And so when the scriptures say that God is a jealous God, we must understand it in these terms. It is right for God to be jealous for his own worship, for it is only right that he be worshipped. He owns us, he deserves our praise, and so we ought to give it to him in the way that he has prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. What is forbidden in the second commandment? The second commandment forbids the worshipping of God by images or any other way not appointed in His Word. And what are the reasons annexed to the second commandment? The reasons annexed to the second commandment are God's sovereignty over us, His propriety in us, and the zeal that He has to His own worship.